Hi, folks. Before we start this episode, we wanted to take a moment to voice our full-hearted support for the WGA and SAG After Strikes that are currently ongoing. The Lost Broadcast is a work of TV criticism, and in no way are we promoting the works we discuss or profiting from discussion of them. That being said, if SAG After releases additional guidelines that make it clear that podcasts like ours are covered under their FAQs for Podcasters rules, we'll be more than happy to pull this episode immediately and hold off on releasing any additional material for the duration of the strike. We encourage our listeners to go to sagafterstrike.org and wgacontract2023.org to learn more about why these unions are striking and what you can do to support them. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. I'm your host, Esther. And I'm Hannah, I guess. Yeah. We're switching things up. We're switching things up for this episode. Um, and this is The Lost Broadcast, a show about TV shows that tried and failed to be ABC's Lost. Uh, if you want more information on what that means, it's in our pilot episode. Uh, otherwise, it's time to dive right into episode three on Threshold. Threshold. Right now we're doing kind of our... I guess it's the prologue yeah. of the Lost broadcast. <laughs> We're still doing shows that premiered uh, in the immediate aftermath of the first season of Lost. So mm-hmm. like 2005-06 broadcast season. What were the other networks doing? And this one was the CBS version. Um, CBS, of course, known for making shows that only old people watch. Yeah, uh, it's it's the premier network to watch while like standing up and looking at a TV that's way too high. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um and Threshold uh, sort of answers the question, what does that network think people like about Lost? Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets probably the furthest afield <laughs> yeah. of everything we've covered so far. Um, you know, we Obviously, we talked about a show that like uh, forgot to have its ensemble have any real differences from each other with yeah, Invasion. Yeah, it was just all the same family. And then with Surface, uh, just, that show just didn't have an ensemble at mm-hmm. all. Um, It it tried to, but then they all got run over by a car. Yeah, literally. Um, And now we're talking about a show that just is a procedural, basically. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot of the shows we talk about are a little more X-Files-y, maybe. This one is extremely X-Files-y. Yes. uh, The Shadow of the X-Files is going to hang over this episode very heavy. Sort of like Spielberg with the last one. Um, Because, like, lo and behold, uh, Threshold is a sci-fi procedural thriller series that aired on cbs for nine episodes uh there's four more that didn't air but we can get that later we watch them though don't worry we watch them um and it is about a elite government team of the same name that is investigating an alien invasion so oh it's a loss of like procedural that's about aliens it's like yeah. Now, what's so funny about this, and I think we mentioned this on the first episode, but if we didn't, I'm going to reiterate it because it's still funny to me. When the uh, There's an apocryphal story that when Lost was first pitched to ABC mm-hmm. and they were, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof and Carlton Hughes were all asked, like, so what is, like, the mystery? Like, what is the ultimate, what is the deal with the island? Um, 
they didn't know at the time. Yeah. So they just kind of bullshit and they said, uh, you know, it's aliens. Like, <laughs> uh, the island is actually a spaceship, I guess. And we'll find that out in season 10 or whatever. Yeah. Like, not intending to follow through with that at all. And they did not follow through with it at all. But when you look at all these shows, uh, it, it, it almost makes me wonder if, like, that story was going around the TV industry at the time. And people were like, hey, you know... Lost is going to turn out to be about aliens. Yeah. So if we want to copy it, we got to make our show about aliens. Yeah. We got to beat Lost at a punch. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, you know, like we we're saying, it's a very procedural series, as makes sense for CBS, the home of CSI, NCIS, you know, um, Ghost Whisperer. That was a big one at the time. Uh, JAG had just finished its, <laughs> uh, its run at the time. Yeah. Um, shows like shows for people who think Law and Order SVU is like too exciting. Yeah, it's like people who who uh, who get scared by seeing uh, uh, Detective Stabler and are just like, I need a reassuring presence. Why is that man yelling so much? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like we said, it is about a uh, a team called Threshold. Um, they are a like kind of ad hoc, hastily thrown together government team. Uh, and they are trying to figure out how to stop an alien invasion uh, that is in its very early stages. Uh, we talk all the time about, like, what was the intended scope of the mystery? If it is a loss alike, then it has a mystery that you're trying to figure out over time. That mystery here is what is the alien plan? What are the aliens capable of? And how do we stop them? Yeah. And um, it doesn't really work. As no. Mystery, <laughs> like, kind of at all. Um you know, obviously, in a show like The X-Files, a big part of the appeal of that show is, like, it's not all mythology, right? It's, yeah. like, you have... They cordon it off pretty effectively. Yeah, like, in famously, the structure of The X-Files is, like, you have the mythos episodes and then the monster of the week episodes, mm -hmm. which makes The X-Files, like, really easy to watch in syndication, for example, but also just when it was airing, you could tune in and be like, all right, this one's about the slime guy... Um, but, and maybe this one's about sort of the overarching alien Subscribe mystery. Subscribe to our Patreon for an in-depth analysis of the X-Files episode about the slime guy. I can't wait, yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna watch every episode until we get to the slime guy. Because <laughs> I know he's in there. Which is weird, because it's like, we, we start for the first episode, slime guy's there. Second episode, <laughs> slime guy's there. It's actually until season two, episode 14, that the slime guy doesn't have a credit. Yeah, it's crazy. And he was sick, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, like, what, what you're kind of describing there is that, like, you could be the religious watcher who knows everything about the cigarette smoking man, everything about, like, the conspiracy. Or you could just be the person who's like, ooh, I heard that this alien makes you fall through floorboards. Let's see what's up tonight. <laughs> um, and so it had that balance, right? With Threshold, it tries to split the difference way, way, way too much. It's like... Every episode ends with them learning a little bit more about the alien plan and using that knowledge in future episodes. So if you're just like watching from episode six, you're like, what the hell? Why are they doing that to the aliens? How do they know that? Like, when did they figure that out? Yeah, it's, I mean, in the way that Lost is, Lost is very linear, right? Mm -hmm. Which is to its, you know, it's something people liked about it. They liked that the mystery would unfold and unfold and unfold. Yeah. Um, and if you missed an episode, you were kind of fucked. Um, Unfortunately, but Lost had so much more to offer because it was 
It wasn't doing X of the week. Exactly. But it was episodic in the way that, like, you could still tune in and say and enjoy the story of what Hurley was up to that week and his flashbacks and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it was still episodic in that way, not narratively, but in more like a character sense. Yeah. Um, But this is really just, like, kind of the way that, like, streaming slop is now, where it's just, like... This is this show is weirdly ahead of its time, and that it feels like it's <laughs> it's designed. You just watch everything all the way through, and it bring just you know A B C D E. Um, bring mm-hmm. back threshold. Well, we'll get actually to the campaign to bring back threshold later in this episode. Oh, um, based on my research, it did not go well. Um, yeah, yeah. It just it, the threshold's a bad show. It's so so chintzy. We'll we'll get more into the reasons, um, but just very quickly um, before we do like our, our cast rundown. The thing that I wanted to mention is that, like, it's like you were doing Lost, but as soon as uh, Ethan, the first other, shows up, it's like every episode after that is like, there's a new other, and we have to yes. defeat him this episode. It's exactly it. The, the mystery unfolds at the exact same pace, but now you have, like, Monsters of the Week showing <laughs> up. All right, so let's talk about who, our, our cast, because this one mm-hmm. actually does have kind of an expansive cast compared to something like surface um not necessarily faint praise i mean yeah literally um we're gonna start with dr molly caffrey mm-hmm. who's played by uh the luminous carla gugino <laughs> yes um the only positive reviews of this contemporaneously were just talking about how hot carla gugino is she was beautiful they said the show was sexy in some contemporaneous reviews which it's not they just meant that carla gugino was in it and on yeah. screen for a lot of the time mm-hmm. um her whole thing is that uh she she deals in worst case scenarios. I mean, actually, I, I think maybe I'll, I'll drop in the opening monologue here. Yeah. My name is Molly Caffrey, and I work for the federal government. I deal in worst case scenarios, the unthinkable. On September 16th, 2005, the unthinkable happened. An extraterrestrial object appeared off the bow of a naval freighter. The entire crew was exposed to a high frequency signal. Some died instantly. Others began to change. They are now stronger, more resilient. They dream of alien landscapes, and they are driven by the impulse to infect others. Several of the crewmen are now loose in the United States. They will strike any time, any place, anyone. Their goal, to turn us into them. But I have a plan to stop them. That plan is called Threshold. Um, every episode, according to the Wikipedia page at least, <laughs> every episode starts with this opening monologue where she runs down sort of the premise of the show. Um, not on the copy we watched. It was there for like, it was there like twice. It was there twice and then there was like a different monologue that was there twice. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was like four and five had the monologue and then they dropped mm-hmm. it. And then in the last episode before they went off the air, they added like a different version of it that was like, sexier and more action-packed yeah. is the only way I can describe Very it. Very burn notice. At this moment, there are people among you who are no longer human. Their DNA has been infected by an alien intelligence. They are stronger, more resilient, and they are driven to infect others. Their goal? To turn us into them. They will do it by any means necessary, from broadcasting mysterious signal to tampering with our food supply. We have weapons to stop them, but their numbers are growing. Fortunately, we have a plan, and this is the team that will carry it out. 
that plan is called Threshold. But yeah, Dr. Bali Caffrey, her whole thing is she deals in worst case scenarios. She has, her job is to come up with contingency plans for all sorts of weird disasters yeah. unexpected corner cases like what happens if yellowstone erupts what happens if there's like a huge nationwide blackout this is what the government is supposed to do and uh, one day they knock on her door and say hey remember the plan you wrote for what if there's aliens well there's aliens so we, we're gonna need you to come with us and enact the plan which is called threshold no one else came up with any ideas for what to do no if one had aliens. ever thought about what to do if there's aliens they just found her shit in a file and we're like, all right, this seems good. But um, for some reason, it yeah. says Dr. Molly Caffrey has to be in charge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also just give her like 50 leather jackets that's in her rider. <laughs> <laughs> um, so her immediate boss is Deputy Director of National Intelligence, uh, J.T. Baylock, played by Charles S. Dutton. Um, he is very much your like standard, um, like older black guy who is an authority figure and is like stern but also a little warm and is kind of tired of everybody's shit but he's good at heart it's one of the most just like kind of cliche characters that is you know you're not sad to see him because it's it's a fine performance by like a fine character actor um but he is definitely indicative of the fact the show has too many bosses put a pin yeah. on that for later <laughs> he is like charles s dutton i have nothing against him he's a good actor mm-hmm. he is very like didn't get the 24 audition on yeah. the show <laughs> <laughs> um yeah not in kind of a nothing character he's really just there to show up and be like now molly you got to deal with these aliens yeah it's just like he, he was doing the same like you know police captain intelligence director um like secretary of state auditions for like 50 like fall uh, one hour dramas that season and it was like yes. all right this is the one i got let's do it uh so then we get into the team and uh, we'll start with um well th- first off these are called the red team right these are basically like team. the people that get recruited by dr molly caffrey's plan it says like okay we need like a biologist we need an engineer we need a mathematician and that's it that's all we need um, so we have one of each of those. <laughs> I yeah. was going to go on for a little longer, and I just realized, no, wait, there are three. That's just three, which, again, is you know, speaks to the limits of the cast of a network television show, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it does seem a little ridiculous that it's like, no, it's just three guys. That's all you need to deal with an alien invasion is these three types of guys. Yeah. Um, the first one is Dr. Nigel Fenway, who is played by Brent Spiner, who is Data on Star Trek The Next Generation. And you just know what the show writers... <laughs> got the call that Brent Spiner had signed on. They were like, fuck, yes! Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, this is such a coup for us. You can tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, one of the one of the create, uh, executive producers of the show was Brandon Braga, who is known for his work with Star Trek. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was a connection that yeah. th- that got him on board. Um, Dr. Nigel Fedway is a loathsome character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, they were very much going for like the archetype of somebody who is curmudgeonly, who is maybe gruff and rude, um, but he cares. What they ended up with is the most misogynist guy I've ever seen. (laughs) It's like, you know, when he's talking to like the other men on the red team, he's like kind of what they were looking for, right? Gruff, rude, not actually a monster. When he's talking to Molly Caffrey, he is like every one of his lines to her is like, now listen, Molly, 
you might be humanity's best hope, but I can smell your pussy from here. <laughs> oh, these, fu- these aliens remind me of my third ex-wife. Yeah, he is our divorce, uh, our divorce quota for this show, um, but it's just him. It's not anyone else. It's... He has enough divorces to cover. <laughs> yeah. He's constantly talking about it. He is it. emanating the divorce particles at like <laughs> as much of a rate as the entire cast of Invasion. <laughs> Um, yeah, terrible screen presence. Did not enjoy watching his character at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Um, nothing against Brent Spiner, but it's like, no, no, again, no. The, the, the material that he was given, like, it's so rancid to be around. Just, like, unpleasant on a very base level. Yeah. Uh, he is joined on Red Team by Dr. Arthur Ramsey, uh, played by a pre-Game of Thrones. I think this was, like, right after Station Agent. This like, would have been around Station role. Agent and, like, Elf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter Dinklage. Mm -hmm. Um, His character is that he drinks and he knows things. Yeah, it's it's funny (laughs) watching Peter Dinklage on this show. You really get the impression that he has like a Google alert for Song of Ice and Fire adaptation. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck, I know they're going to cast in that. Just going on like the subreddit at the time and just being like, hey, does anybody have any ideas for who could play Tyrion? (laughs) And also, I think they could like make him hot. And there's this guy who's really weird looking, but like maybe like a hot little person. (laughs) It's it's really is just like. It, it's so fucking Tyrion. He is a Lothario. He's introduced, like, in a strip club, like, surrounded by, like, four women. Yeah. They all love him at the strip club. <laughs> <laughs> the stripper likes him. Um, the, the checkout girl likes him. Everybody likes him. But he is the ling... Oh, we didn't even say. Nigel Fenway is, like... He, his role on the team is, like, he's just all-purpose doctor-slash-biologist, basically. Yeah. Like, ostensibly, the most of the work he does is, like with alien biology and figuring that out. But then like mm-hmm. also when the team needs a doctor, he is just a surgeon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and similarly, uh, Ramsey, he has a couple of responsibilities. He's a mathematician and he's also a linguist. Um, so it really does feel like they collapse two characters from the original script. Yeah. Why would he be both of those things? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about mathematics or linguistics to tell whether that makes sense at all. I, I, I am an idiot, but I have to imagine those two cannot be that closely connected. If you are a mathematician or a linguist, um, then and you want to like correct Esther on this, <laughs> then just like send threatening letters to your local congressman. <laughs> I'll get them. Don't worry. Yeah, they will forward it to Esther. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he is another character who is like very quippy, snarky, less unbearably so than Fenway. Um, the red team is all quips, guys, to various extents yeah. and various archetypes. Uh, but he's mostly just like, you know, the the sort of snarky, rude, horny guy um, who I think they hit the actually has a heart of gold button on him a lot more than they do with Dr. Fenway. Yeah. Um, and he is joined by... Dr. Lucas Pegg, mm-hmm. third and final member of the team that's going to stop the alien invasion. Well, there's one more guy, but he's not really on Red Team. No. Um, he's played by Rob Benedict, who I guess people know from, like, uh, Supernatural. Supernatural, mainly. Uh, he was on Felicity. Um, this was one of his first, like, big roles, though. Yeah. Um, Just, like, a reliable TV character actor. Yeah. Very, like, um, has a stomach ache type guy. Uh, now, what do you mean by that? Um, I just mean that he seems like he's beset by physical illnesses at all times and in a kind of a charming way. That's interesting because I'm seeing on Supernatural, he played the character of God. Yeah. So what does that tell you? (laughs) 
Um, no, but he's he's the one of the three who is also like a quips guy, but he's the nervous quips guy, right? Like he's the one who's like, ooh, I don't know. I'm just kind of scared about these aliens. Very neurotic, like neurotic young man. Yeah. Um, um, not a particularly interesting character. Um, he gets an interesting beat late in the series when it looks like he's infected and he's like, uh, now listen, I want you to kill me. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. But that's also like the second time that that happens in the scene. <laughs> yeah. He I mean, literally says like, hey, this thing that uh, guest star Leslie Odom Jr. did like two episodes <laughs> before, I want that too. <laughs> and if you have to imagine if they had like gone for another season, there would have been a conveyor belt about that. Or, oh, yeah. like. Every few episodes, happening. someone's like, hey, hook me up with the Rob Benedict. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and then there's uh, really the final main character, Sean Cavanaugh, mm-hmm. um, who is basically just like the, the muscle. The most rectangular man of all time. That's right. C- CBS viewers in 2005 found this type of man irresistible. Um, just a guy who's like, does not appear to have a neck. Uh, as like... <laughs> He's not, like, an unattractive guy, but it's just, like, you know, a uh, uh, very, like, white football player at the end of a Key and Peel sketch type of yes, energy. exactly. Um, yeah, just, like, very sort of, you know, gruff, but also uh, can snark with the best of him. Military guy who provides a team's muscle. Uh, he is also sort of, like, the wrangler to the group, so he fulfills, like, a second boss-type role in addition to what um, DNI Baylock is doing. Yes, um, which maybe brings us into uh, our discussion of a very important element of the rest of the cast. So we have JT Baylock, who's like their boss. Yeah. And then we have Sean Cavanaugh, who's like... Their manager, kind their of? Their manager, yeah. He's, he's kind of a second boss. You know, you have a CA, CEO and a CFO. Um, <laughs> Shut the fuck it's up. It's kind of like that. So they have a third boss. Yeah. Who's this... I, uh, she's the one with awful bangs. I don't know what her job... Was I she don't like remember. the actual DNI? I think she might have been. She's introduced alongside JT Baylock um, early on, and she just sort of has the same kinds of scenes with the main characters yeah, that she, he does. She just has like a couple conversations um, with him and like yeah. one or two with Molly. Anyway, halfway through the series, uh, she gets out of plane and they shoot it down with a missile. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, then there's uh, a fourth boss. Who was also on that plane. Who was also on that plane. And the reason that they shot it down in the first place. He was like a senator with oversight powers over them like he was on the the spending committee or yeah. whatever so they they both get assassinated which leads to the introduction of the fifth boss who is the new dni and he's a real asshole and he's very hands-on and it's the sort of thing that just makes you think like oh working out some frustrations with the network because uh, he's like <laughs> in his first episode he's just like i love to meddle and change shit especially people's creative visions <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really explicit. Just, I mean, frankly, the, the never-ending rotating cycle of bosses itself could not be the more, could not be a more obvious expression of just, like, yeah. studio notes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like, we, we had, what, six characters in the ensemble. That is the most, like, kind of complete ensemble yet, because it's not just one family, and it's not <laughs> just, like, two people. Um but yeah, they they don't really intersect so much as they're all just like new co-workers as of episode one. And then everyone else just sort of like fades in and out as like, you know, uh, very late in the run. Someone else joins Red Team, but is only there for one episode and only mentioned once off screen again. Yeah. Uh, it's It's very much a situation where they were like, we kind of realized that we don't have 
enough characters in this core group, but we don't know what to do about it necessarily. Yeah, they were really, I mean, we'll get into it, but they were really just throwing shit at the wall yeah. uh, in, in the final days of Threshold. Yeah, at one point in which late, we love. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. At one point late in the run, there's a scene where Molly is like, we're expanding Threshold. Every one of you, Red Team, will be a boss and you will have your own <laughs> underlings. Yeah. It's like, that was never going to happen, Molly. I'm sorry. There's <laughs> like a fractal pattern where it's like... By their planned season four, like, uh, you know, season two, uh, uh, Nigel Fenway has three people under him, then he has nine, then he has 27. And there is indeed a fractal pattern that plays a key role. Oh, motherfucker. Yeah, it's like, it's like you remember, remember the show Heroes, how Heroes mm-hmm. had like the helix symbol that would always show up? That's the, they have something like this too. It kind the of lost of like, many symbols? Did lost of many symbols? Does the Dharma symbol count? What's a drama symbol? It's <laughs> everyone pick up your phone and turn on the screen, <laughs> and you'll get to see what the Dharma symbol looks like. Yeah, I just think it's so cute that you went to heroes first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, when I think about symbols, I think heroes first and foremost. Hey, everybody, um, Esther would like a child. Esther would doodle that symbol in her notebook. Shut up! I told you that in confidence. No, you didn't. Sheesh! You knew I would tell. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, every time they show the symbol, they, like right after the main title appears, they show it, and it looks re- it's just unpleasant. It's accompanied with this like grinding metallic noise. Yeah, and it looks that's like the these, alien signal. That, exactly, there's like these raised bumps that it appears in, and it just looks it, it's just awful to experience. And it's, it's at the very, beginning of every episode. It's very like 2005 graphics card advertising. <laughs> it, it so is. It's like you are scrolling, you're just flipping through PC Gamer, and you just like see that. Yeah. And next, you to, like, next to your picture of Gordon Freeman. Yeah, and you were like knocked unconscious for three days. <laughs> um, okay, so we've been gesturing towards it. What actually happens in the plot? So, uh, like we said, it starts with... Well, it doesn't really start with Molly Ann Caffrey, because there's kind of a... Molly. Goddamn. Well, it's, her full name is Molly Ann. Molly Ann Caffrey. That is just that? came out. I, it is, isn't it? I, I got that from somewhere. It's on the Wikipedia page. That's cool. I'll have that to trust you on why, That must be why, when we were watching, I was like, wouldn't it make more sense if she was named Molly McCaffrey? These are things that we got to talking about because the episodes weren't holding our attention. It's a really boring show. We have a couple of those. So I did make sure to bring up that her name should have been Molly McCaffrey, and that would have made more sense. Okay, we gotta power through this, Esther. No, we're gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. This is gonna Um, be a three-hour episode. (laughs) Fuck. Um, The the first thing that happens is that there's this military ship called the Bighorn. Um, It is just out in the ocean, and then all of a sudden, it gets hit with this alien signal. There's like a big, like, four-dimensional object that just shows up off the prow of the ship um it is like very cgi it is making a horrible sound that is the alien signal it's like a probe sent from some alien planet and what it does to people is uh some of them it just kills but the ones that it doesn't kill it turns into hybrids uh we are now three for three for shows that are about hybrids and water um which what the fuck yeah, it really is. It really is interesting thinking about like what people thought were the things to take from Lost. Do you and, think that they thought that like they got some bad intel that Lost was going to be about hybrids, and they were like, "We have to put our hybrids yeah. on air." They already first. they already thought it was going to be about aliens. Yeah. So maybe they also thought it was going to be about hybrids. Although I guess that's kind of an e- leftover like X Files thing too. Um, mm-hmm. But it is funny. It's like all of these shows are like, "All right, what do people like about Lost? Water." disasters that happen in the water people that are kind of weird with it and some of them might be like William Mathether 
Yeah, William William Mapother? Mapother? Tom Cruise's cousin. I don't like I when I do the other show with Spencer, I don't correct him on pronunciations. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be four hour episodes if you did. Um Yeah, so whatever his name might be pronounced, uh, he is just like one of the crewmen who is on the first uh, who's in that alien infected ship. Uh, and he's sort of like our first film of the week because like Molly is brought onto the ship to investigate what happens. It turns out that William and some of the other crewmen um, are escaping and trying to infect everyone that they can find uh, because that's their mission, right? Uh, so that's kind of like our procedural setup, right? Is that every episode we're going to be tracking down one crewman from the ship called the Bighorn who's been infected by the alien signal. They're going to have a plan to try to infect other people by like playing the signal to them. Um, and then, you know, Threshold is going to have to figure out where they are, how to stop them, what their plan is, etc. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the pilot itself is very, very boring. It's definitely the most boring of the pilots we've covered so far. It's um, very sci-fi network. It is extremely... When I said earlier it was chintzy, this is what I'm talking about, yeah. right? It is just like... Whereas Invasion, you know, looks cheap, but basically looks like a network TV show. And Surface, like, clearly had a very big budget. Mm-hmm. Um threshold is just like and it looks like doctor who a lot of the time like, yeah it just looks like it cost five dollars there's like stun gun effects that they use on the aliens where it's just like real party city stuff like yeah no i mean literally they didn't even build like a stun gun prop it's just your basic like tv pistol but it shoots out like lightning and cgi like spray painted silver yeah it looks so bad um yeah but anyway yeah it's 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 a very boring pilot and for a while it's like they, they hit him with the big bad beetleborgs gloves <laughs> <laughs> um but no for a while it's extraordinarily like by rote basically mm-hmm. right it's like yeah. all right this episode you know we track down one of the guys from the ship and what's he up to and who's he infecting yeah uh, and who is he infected lately um and it's just like very, it's the sort of like episode setups that just feel like they come out of a file cabinet with mm-hmm. a network TV show where it's like, have an episode set at like a boarding school or like a military yeah. school or like, what if there was an episode where it's like a mental patient escapes, yeah. <laughs> which could be on any like cop or doctor show. It's it's interesting because like we said that the, the pilot is very sci-fi. Um, for those of you who are old enough to remember this, it's also very UPN. Yes. Which is like the lower budget, like blacker <laughs> half of the CW ancestry. Yes. Um, there was like specifically a show that I remember catching a couple times when I was little called Special Unit 2. Um, and it was a really like zero budget UPN show about like a secret unit of the Chicago police that like tracked down leprechauns and golems and stuff. <laughs> um but yeah, th- those are the vibes that I got from the pilot. There's like, when they're introducing the red team, there's a bizarre like speed ramping shot of just like people working in a lab or an office or some shit. There's all kinds of bizarre the stuff like that. Like there are so many like weird like flash effects. Strobes everywhere. Everywhere. The kind of thing that's like, you know, you would see in like music videos at the time. Yes. Just like very, you know, very blue shots of a warehouse. <laughs> And the camera is just, like, whipping around. It does settle down with that a little bit, though. Um, the pilot, which is two hours, one half of it directed by David S. Goyer, the other half directed by Peter Himes. Uh, absolute dog shit, directed horribly, really unbearable. But it sort of settles into a little more of, like, if not competence, then at least, like, 
kind of dull incompetence in the CBS era, so to speak. Yeah, it feels like it fits more in with, like, the CBS mold. Yeah. Um, and there are, like, in, in this part of the show, there are some creative kind of iterations of, mm-hmm. of the premise. Like, there's an episode where... Um, what was the one? The DJ? The DJ one, where, like, the alien signal gets put into, like, a DJ mix at a rave. Yeah, and it's, like, the... Um, the the DJ is like the sister of one of the crew members, uh, and he like called her just as like it was starting to appear and being like, hey, you know, something crazy is happening. If I don't make it, I just want you to know that I love you. And like the signal is audible on the uh, the message, like the phone message, and she just played it over and over again because it was like the last message that she got from her dead brother, and that's like a really interesting little moment of like oh shit that's cool i get it i i get how that could be something that like provides an interesting answer to a sort of mystery of the week yeah um they very quickly unfortunately give up on like coming up with creative ways that the signal can get into people which you can understand right because like if it's just a a bighorn crew member every time then, like, maybe you could do it, like, with the DJ, who's a woman, by, like, having it be a familiar relation. But in every other circumstance, it's, like, it all happens to be men for some reason. It's, like, oh, here's one that's in a male boarding school. Here's one that's in an all-male mental institution. Here's one it's in a gang that gets no bitches. And you were just imagining that, like, one of them was going to be, like, here's one that's in an NBA team. That's right. Welcome to episode three of the Smashed McDouble. Oh, my God. She sprung it on me this time. (laughs) Um, We're going early this week. We We are. Um, So, what has been happening in NBA world since last time? Well, they had the draft, obviously. Mm -hmm. Wemby went to the Spurs. And then they had Summer League which I have to say, I'm a huge NBA fan. I don't want... I, I, you can't get me to watch Summer no. League. Might as well be watching high school games. Esther is more tilting towards WNBA these days. Yeah, because I mean, that's like real basketball. It's not... Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Summer League is not. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited for the Thompson Twins. Very excited for Anthony Black, um, the first Met Kaina player in the NBA. <laughs> um, and very excited for Jarris Walker. But I don't think we have that much to talk about as far as like actual league happenings. Not so so what I propose, uh, and I did talk about this with Esther beforehand, so I'm not bringing this on her, but it's a little game that we can play here. Uh, if you had to draft a starting five of players that if you infected them with the alien hybrid signal would infect as many other people as possible. Who is on your team? All right. So, Esther, you get first pick. I get the first pick. At the center, mm-hmm. I'm going to take, I think it's the obvious pick. Yeah. Uh, it's Rudy Gobert. Um, That's a chalk pick. Yeah, obviously well known for being a COVID super spreader. <laughs> the original. The original. The guy who shut down the world by touching all those microphones. Yes. Um, I, you got to take him if you want him to spread anything. Yeah, he is just going to go around as soon as he gets a signal and just start, like, holding his hands out in the street. (laughs) Um, With my first pick, I'm going to take uh, LeBron James. Okay. Just on the the basis of, like, how can you not? He has the biggest global reach. Uh, He is a guy who is in Los Angeles, huge market. Um, And he could just, like, deploy his infinite amounts of resources and also, like, annoying positivity. Uh, to just get the job done, I feel like. 
Absolutely, I agree. So at my, uh, with the second pick, with my second pick, mm-hmm. uh, at my four, I am going to take Draymond Green. Mm, Draymond yeah. is on my board. Yeah, well, of course, well, he has a podcast, as we all know. Yeah. And a lot of NBA players have podcasts, but I think his has a really big reach. And he's also on TV a lot. I mean, you, you know what I think it is for Jamon is that he is the best schemer in the NBA. That's true. Like when he did the scheme to like sacrifice himself in the Warriors Kings series and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I, Draymond Green, among anyone on this list, would be the best like episode or arc villain in a procedural <laughs> like this. <laughs> he would relish that opportunity. Um, okay, so I, you're all set on bigs. That means I'll take mine last. Um, Okay, running my point, I'm going to go for Ja Morant. Uh, Interesting. He is a very shoe leather guy in this field. Like, the moment he gets the signal, he is going to, like, every mall and gallery in the Memphis area and just, like, infecting whatever teenagers he can find. <laughs> he is, like, ascending the the Bass Pro Shop pyramid. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, he's in the, the Dread movie from 2013, just going up every level, infecting everyone he can find there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I trust him to make the, the types of good, bad decisions that we want for this. All right. So for my third pick, mm-hmm. what's one of the best uh, vectors for an infection of any kind? The place where a lot of, uh, you know, things can spread very Sex? easily. No, no, no. I'm talking about the hospital. So I'm taking Kawhi Leonard at my three. <laughs> yes. Uh, just because he's always in there. <laughs> That's exactly why... Um, I've got one of my future picks lined up, <laughs> okay, and I'll, I'll save the little like justification for that. Uh, but just so I can pick my shooting guard first, um, you know what? I need a crank on my team. You've got Gobert. I'm not going to let you monopolize the crank market. Uh, at my shooting guard, I'm going to have Kyrie Irving. Uh, we need somebody Damn. who has just really bizarre ideas about what the alien signal is. Um, <laughs> And, and who can express them in a way that makes a lot of people be like, hey, he's not capping though. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that was one of mine. Okay, so I guess at my point guard, I'm going to have to take James Harden. Okay. And the reason I'm going with James Harden is he's known for always being out in the nightlife, and he's at clubs, yes. and he's partying and celebrating. Mm-hmm. So you know he's going to be in contact with a lot of people uh, and really spreading the, the alien virus um, in a really effective way. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, so I am going to then, for my power forward, uh, pick myself Anthony Davis, on the same logic as Kawhi, honestly. Yeah, of course. The way I was thinking about it is that it's like, he is injured so much that like he has the platinum membership to a hospital, <laughs> they just let him put whatever he wants in the blood supply. It's just like, <laughs> you are our best customer, you have special privileges, here's all the blood bags, do what you will. All right. Well, with my... F- Fifth and final pick, all I have left is to draft a shooting guard, and I am going to take Devin Booker, because I just fucking yeah. hate that guy. Yeah. And I really want him, I'm hoping that, you know, sometimes with the alien infection, as they show on Threshold, they just die, they just kind of like, <laughs> they just kind of can't That's handle true. it and melt. So I'm really hoping that will happen for Devin Booker. I, I was, Devin Booker was also on my board, a little less vicious of a reasoning. It was just more that like, we learned later in the show uh, that the infection can be spread through a number of vectors and it's like well what if those vec- one of those vectors is watching hezzy mid-range highlight compilations <laughs> it's just like everybody who's like 16 years old in america will be infected yeah. within the end of the week 
Uh, and for my final pick, um, I already I filled up my backcourt, uh, so I couldn't take Luca. So I'm going to have to have somebody fulfill the complaining role that Luca would. <laughs> uh, we need a complainer. We need Joel Embiid. Number one complainer <laughs> in the league. He is a master at it. Um, if Threshold tries to come after him, he will complain. Uh, he will uh, just raise a huge fuss and people will be on his side. And they will not realize until, let's say, like mm, the second round of the NBA playoffs that yeah. he was actually full of shit. This well, that's what I was going to say. The problem with Embiid is that he's not going to meet as many other players and to be able to spread the signal because he will never get out of the second round. <laughs> yeah. That's where he goes home. So that's the risk you run with Embiid, but I like your reasoning. Yeah. Okay. I think we have two very, very good teams. Um, <laughs> stupid. It's very fucking stupid. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Smash Week Double. Thank you for still listening. Thank you. Um, All right. Um, back to Threshold. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the last thing that we were mentioning there, uh, it's our kind of semi-segue, is the idea that, like... Um, the second half of the season is just about like discovering new vectors for infection, and most of them are not really interesting. It turns out that like contaminated food supplies are something that can do it. Yeah. So it'll be like you would get in the first several episodes at least a semblance of a mystery where it's like, well, how did the alien signal show up here? Who broadcast it? Who heard it? How was it heard? Etc. And then eventually it's just like, oh, well, this guy ate gazpacho and now he's infected. Yeah. This is what I meant when I said that they kind of just give up on the idea of there being like interesting ways that people could have gotten infected. Like by the finale, it's just like, yeah, oh, it's just a given like, well, they kind of came into contact with someone and like whatever, you know, which mm-hmm. is kind of a shame because it feels like that is one of the avenues that you could be most creative with the premise. And it just sort of becomes very generic by the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it, it does have its benefits in that, like, you can, for example, um, have, like, female infectees. Um, one of the best episodes is one that is just about, like, three women who, uh, like, all sought fertility treatments at the same clinic. And one of them is uh, the beloved hot dog woman, who yes. you might have seen if it- you have... Uh, check our Twitter account for Hot Dog Woman. I really you hope haven't. you're listening to this because you saw Hot Dog Woman and you wanted to know what her deal was. Here's her deal. She got infected and it made her really want to eat hot dogs and then she exploded. That's, That's it. it. That is all the screen time that Hot Dog Woman has. <laughs> Sorry uh, to base in that clip. But that, and that she's is, not okay. No, she she's not okay. She she just exploded. Um, though that is that does uh, have, include one of the weirder scenes in the show mm-hmm. which is when Dr. Nigel Fenway because the whole thing with Threshold is like they have to constantly keep like pretending to be other government agencies so they can keep their thing under wraps which again super underexplored they don't really do anything with that no, they don't be all. like oh well we're pretending to be DHS this episode so we're going to act different we're pretending to be DEA this episode so we're going to act different no not at all no. but they also have to like find creative ways sometimes to like get bodies under their control again very underexplored except for this one scene with hot dog woman where mm-hmm. uh dr nigel fenway comes and is examining the body along with like the cops who were on scene and he says well you're gonna need a hasidic ambulance and he just pulls like out of his pocket this necklace and oh god wait did you put it in the dock the yeah line? It, was, it was the he said it was the hebrew character for life he said this this is kai <laughs> the hebrew character for life and what he means is this is Kai. The Hebrew word for life, yeah, which he just has on a necklace, and he just pretends that it was on her, so that they can put her in a quote-unquote Hasidic ambulance, yeah, 
<laughs> so that they can take her body back to Threshold. Yeah, I, I like to think that um, Dr. Nigel Fenway has like a tattoo of the character for life in various languages, one from each of his ex-wives. <laughs> It's got like Chinese, Russian, Hebrew. They were all Jewish. They were, but there was like a Chinese Jewish woman, a yeah. Russian Jewish woman. <laughs> exactly. They, they just all understood life. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the the main villain of that episode is played by Elizabeth Berkeley, um, who does a great job, to be honest, as just this like aggressive waspy trophy wife who like breaks out of her like rut of endless just like shopping and partying to to like have this sacred mission to spread the alien infection there's occasionally as the series goes on like very cool things that show up and that really starts at that episode nine because that's where we transition over from the cbs era so to speak to the usa network era it's still airing on cbs well actually after episode nine it is not airing on anything no But it doesn't actually start airing on USA Network, but it's, it's very much that type of vibe. It's, it gets more, like, um, action-y. There's more butt rock everywhere. The directing is a little more, like, kinetic for no reason. Um, and it starts taking more interesting risks. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it, it's a real shame that, like, the last episode to get aired was also genuinely the first one that made us think, like, oh, this could be a show. Like, this could have if it didn't like completely fumble things out of the gate, like gotten a couple seasons and been like a fun semi-procedural. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to see, I think why uh, people just weren't really interested if you tune in for one episode, because it kind of feels like the way that they execute the premise, it doesn't feel like there's anything more to be mined out of it after. No. If you watch any one episode, it just sort of feels like, Oh, it's just going to be that like, Mm -hmm. you know, with the X-Files, there can be any number of weird supernatural creatures, right? Like, the, the, they, they could yeah. do an episode on a Bigfoot. Um, but, like, with Threshold, it's like, it's well... It's X-Files, but there's only Bigfoots. Yeah, it's like if the X-Files was just, all right, well, we found another Bigfoot, and it's kind of just, like, the last one. Yeah. Um, like, no one gets, like, really weird, unique powers, um, which no. I think would have been probably, like, if I was the if I was the studio hack who was ruining Threshold, I would have told them everyone has to have a power. Like, everyone has to have a unique power yeah. that they get from the alien signal. Because otherwise, every episode is the same fucking episode. Yeah. Um, there's also, again, like, if they leaned more into the pretending to be different agencies, which, again, like, the standing up while watching TV dad contingent would love that. They would love to be like, ah, I see they're pretending to be NCIS this episode. I know all about the ins and outs of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, if they lean into more of that, there's a couple things that they like occasionally mention about like Dr. Caffrey's threshold protocols being really fucking weird and useless. <laughs> um, like there's there's one that says like they can't order takeout from the same place more than like twice in a month. Uh, so they have to like roll the dice on really shitty pizza places. Well, at first, they're not even allowed to leave. And this leads to this really weird line where uh, in order to sort of prove that, like, well, we can bring you anything you want, um, <laughs> Dr. F- Nigel Fenway demands that they bring him, among other things, a number three pencil, <laughs> which uh, my my eyes, like, shot open <laughs> watching that. I was like, what the fuck is that? Which I now, I know, it's, I don't know what a number three pencil is. But uh, no, have you ever heard anyone, anyone, Say they need a number three pencil. This guy is a biologist, right? He's not like an artist. Again, things that we get hung up on because the episodes aren't very <laughs> engaging. A number three pencil. Uh, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's that sort of thing that I feel like if they had really leaned into what makes their premise unique, there could be something here. But like over and over again, we just get a um, a scenario where it's like a CBS procedural that you kind of have to do a bit of homework for. And it's not enough homework to make it feel like you're building a rich mythology uh, because, again, it's just like the answers are doled out way too regularly, way too incrementally. You never get anything that feels like a big revelation because it's like, well, we can't have the big revelation happen in like season one, episode five. Like that would... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if people aren't watching? <laughs> and they weren't. No. Uh, so you didn't have to worry about it. Uh, but like there is, for example... In episode 11, when they already knew, uh, well, they didn't know at this point yet, but like this was an episode that never made it to air. Um, the closest thing we have to a main villain, this guy Manning, he was one of the crew members on the ship, alien hybrid guy with like a former like spec ops background. And he just sort of like builds like a militia or terrorist group, right? And he just shows up and like approaches Molly in broad daylight and is like, Hey Molly, uh, I'm the alien. This is our exact plan. Our exact plan is that like Earth is going to be struck by um, like gamma radiation from like two stars colliding. Uh, it's going to be struck within six years, and unless you all become hybrids, all life on Earth will be wiped out. And uh, on Wikipedia, uh, the Wikipedia entry for the show there is an insane note that i think was like a dvd extra that's basically like uh, a letter that she received from nasa that says like dear dr molly ann caffrey there it is there it is there it is um in reply to your request for information to following coordinates blah 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 um when these particles make it to earth they will interact with our atmosphere uh the amount of particles that will enter uh, will most likely be more than our atmosphere will be able to protect us from Earth will be completely destroyed and all human life will be extinguished. We thank you for your concern and interest and hope the information has been of help to you. <laughs> so it's just this really weird thing where it's just like, he shows up with that explanation. They don't even really bother to do like a, um, is he telling the truth? Is he manipulating us? Like what's the real motivation type of thing? Uh, it's just like, sure, whatever. Um, I guess Earth is going to blow up in six years, but let's never mention that. <laughs> It's, it's, you know what it is? Um, it is a conceit that I kept thinking about throughout this whole process, where um, in The Dark Knight Rises, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, there is, in the opening scene, the CIA agent played by Aidan Gillen, who's trying to, like, interrogate Bane's guys, and he's, like, asking them questions, and he pretends to, like, shoot one of them and throw them out of the plane, and he just says, He didn't fly so good! And that is kind of what I thought in my head every time this show would just, like, bring something up and drop it with complete abandon, right? Just like, <laughs> oh, cool, we blew up a sitting senator. He didn't fly so good! Um, you know, we I heard that the reason behind this uh, alien targeting thing is that, like, the whole world is going to blow up in six years. He didn't fly so good! We got another character on the red team. Uh, she, in this case, didn't fly so good. <laughs> but they all just like constantly introduce things and not bother to follow up on them, like even within a single episode. It's a very haphazard show. 
extreme. Oh, by the way, we should say the reason that they got blown up in the plane is because they got infected. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's that simple. The answer's not that interesting. It is very funny when, like, someone who has been a pretty significant supporting character up to this point just hangs up the phone with Molly on the plane and JT Baylock is like, all right, we're sending the missile to their location. <laughs> <laughs> and they just, they don't even, the plane doesn't even blow up on screen. They did not have the budget for that. You just no. see, like, the blinking on the radar just, like, poof. And they've just murdered a sitting senator. And and that's how you know the show didn't have the juice, is that of the three that we've seen so far, it did not have a plane crash depicted on screen. Exactly. That's how you know they <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Um, the last two episodes, especially, I think, are remarkably solid. Um, the second to last one is the most, like, this was supposed to be season two, episode seven thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's about uh, this hybrid hybrid like he's half of a normal hybrid serial killer who is introduced like busting into uh ramsey's room as he's uh in the afterglow of having sex with a stripper that likes him um and he just like kills a stripper and leaves ramsey perfectly fine and it's revealed later on that like oh that stripper herself was an alien hybrid um and uh, Ramsey has a very silly set of reactions to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like this guy is just like this very clearly set up to be a um, like an anti-hero because they make a lot of hay about him being like a doctor and somebody who was like a total angel before he got semi-infected. And he doesn't want to kill people, but he feels like, you know, he has to protect them. And he wants Threshold to be, like, more ruthless and not just rounding the the hybrids up and detaining them, but, like, just, you know, putting bullets in their heads. Um, But, yeah, he just shows up for that one episode and was very clearly going to become part of the, the crew by, like, season three, but... As we say, he didn't fly so good. Well, yeah, it, it is a shame. Because there is fun stuff, like, sprinkled throughout. Like, mm-hmm. there's an episode where the infection gets into, like, some plants, and they, like, open a head of cabbage, and there's, like, a flesh and, like, teeth in there. Yeah. And it's gross. It's, like, it's kind of cool looking. Um, there's also an episode where, like, Molly's water guy, like, like he's carrying, like, one of those, like, water pitchers uh, comes in, and um, he's she thinks he's working for the aliens so she shoots him with a stun gun and like just kills him yeah because he's not infected the stun guns are like calibrated to like take the alien hybrids who have like way more strength and resilience down so if you just shoot a normal person with them then like um yeah there's a lot of like funny little moments like that and also just the last episode is like kind of really good the last episode is surprisingly good yeah it's called alienville Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole premise is, like, Molly and um, Kavanaugh go to this town where, like, a bunch of alien hybrids have all congregated to try and, like, yeah. start a new society where they can protect themselves. Like, the whole town is aliens. Yeah. So they're, they're you know, undercover as alien infectees. Um, it's kind of like a Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like, Stepford Wives mm-hmm. situation. And it's, like, pretty well executed. It's funny. It's it's weird. There's a B plot where like an insane pregnant woman is trying to kill like the rest of the team back at threshold. Yeah, she is. It's just like an alien, uh, like pregnant mother who has just given birth, uh, who is just like doing Mister X stuff from Resident Evil Two all throughout the threshold facility. 
Uh, Alienville also includes the moment in the show that I laughed at the hardest (laughs) by far, which is when uh, Kavanaugh sort of, they've called for backup, right? Mm -hmm. And Kavanaugh encounters like the car that the backup was coming in on. And it's just like piles of like meat and like a pair of shoes. And Kavanaugh looks at this and goes, those were two of my best guys. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, they... The, the premise of, like, what if there was a fucked up town is remarkably solid. It is very versatile. Um, one of the best episodes of a much better CBS procedural with higher ambitions, A Person of Interest, mm-hmm. um, was also centered around what if there was a fucked up town. And it does make me think, basically, like, wait, I haven't watched, like, CSI and Without a Trace and all that. Like, do they all have an episode with... A fucked up town like is there an all-time banger episode of ncis where the team visits a town where everybody hates the navy (laughs) oh those naval crimes i prefer they stay unsolved (laughs) you know those naval investigators they're always trying to stop us from committing crimes (laughs) yeah i if i tell you what if i saw one of those ncis i'd tell them a thing or two yeah it's, and so, like, they're just going up to the main characters, like, the, the goth computer lady, and just being like, do you want to go on boats and, like, do illegal things later on? <laughs> you want to get on my boat? We're going we're gonna to go into the water and push people off. Yeah, and we're going to rank the service branches. And, like, <laughs> and you know who's going to be last. Yeah, Coast Guard is four. <laughs> and a very distant five. <laughs> um, which, again, like, person of interest, I mention it because of that like connection but also because like that's what this show could have been if it was a little stronger out the gate something that is a cbs procedural um but that somehow gets five seasons on a strength of being like very entertaining episode to episode and then sort of builds into more of its serialized stuff as it goes on sadly that was never meant to be well the thing with i think that's so important about threshold is like the the reason the show is hard to watch is that the characters are not likable and, yes. they, and more importantly, they don't like each other. Like, when you're watching a show like this, it's really important. The characters should have conflicts, obviously. On Lost, characters came into conflict all the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, the characters on most TV shows that are popular like each other. Most TV shows that are ostensibly about, like, cops or doctors or firemen are really just about a bunch of friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And everyone on Threshold fucking hates each other they're always bitching and moaning and arguing with each other and it's like i don't want to hang out with these people no they're they're, and i i get it because like part of what they're trying to do thematically is show like the weight that this is all taking on them everybody has lines of dialogue like every episode about like i've slept two hours in the last 50 hours well i slept three hours in the last 70 hours Um, and like, you know, again, they're just like sequestered in here, eating shitty pizza and not getting to tell any of their loved ones about what's going on. Um, but also like only one of them even has loved ones. So that's not really a, an issue. Yeah. Only, um, only Dr. Lucas Pegg has a fiance who is like frequently mentioned only seen in one episode, I think. Yeah. yeah. She like shows up a little later on. And of course, Dr. Nigel Fenway has all of his bitch ex-wives. <laughs> yes. Um, but like, yeah, Dr. Caffrey's single, um, uh, Dr. Ramsey is just a womanizer. And uh, JT Baylock does have a dead son um, because it's the <laughs> subject. He's the subject of one of our favorite lines because we, we have, we have a uh, risible dialogue repository here. Yeah. In our notes. Um, at one point, Dr. JT, B- he's not a doctor. JT Baylock <laughs> says, um, I lost my son in a situation like this. 
but it wasn't an alien signal it was drugs yes <laughs> um my favorite one of these awful pieces of dialogue it's it's a uh, peter dinklage dr ramsey talking in his comic book guy voice and just being like uh after uh peg has just told him oh no don't worry about me i'm doing great he says great how do you define that adjective exactly because you certainly don't look great to me. And then one of the infectees just like rips his arm through the wall <laughs> and tears Lucas Peg out into the street. It was like a 20 second shot of him just getting dragged slowly. <laughs> I'm great. Great. How do you define that adjective exactly? Because you certainly don't look great to me. Hey, the situation is getting to all of us, some more than others. Listen, I've got some great sedatives, Andy, if you, if you want to take the edge I off. I said I'm fine. <laughs> We were we were debating on whether that was going to be like our preview clip for this episode, but Hot Dog Woman won out. Hot in the Dog end. Woman won out. Congratulations to her. <laughs> um, there's also a bit where someone uh, walks into some sort of like technological thing that Doctor Nigel Fenway has built and says, "Wow, it looks like Bill Gates' head exploded in here." And Fenway says, "Bill Gates would sell his mother to Apple to get a hold of this." Yeah, just like very cloying nerd dialogue. <sighs> Which, like, I mean, it sort of worked, apparently, um, according to Esther. That's true. She did look on, like, some kind of geek forums at the time. Um, and they were like, oh, hey, does anybody notice that there's a bunch of these, like, lost-style shows? There's, like, Threshold, Service, and Invasion. Which ones are people liking? And people mostly seem to like, in that demographic specifically, Threshold the most. But you can't survive on just that demographic. Extremely. And we'll talk about the ratings later. Yeah. Um, but no, it's like, yeah, this is a show that would only have appealed to that kind of nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, like, that kind of nerd still doesn't even, like, run the world in the way that, like, comic book nerds really, like, ascended. No. You know, six years after this. Um, it's just such a niche within a niche. Um, and if you want this show to be popular, you, I mean, first of all, the show maybe would have been like the x-files is popular but they spent money on the x-files right and like yeah. it was we- really well directed and well written mm-hmm. um this is just like yeah x-files kind of had like that um it was like for the 90s in a lot of ways like what something like Columbo was for the 70s where it's like if you are a tv director who really wants a chance to stretch your legs and like ball out stylistically then it's like oh shit the x-files just gave me a call yes I'll be able to like do something like really ambitious, really interesting there with threshold. Mm, no, no hint of that. No, not even close. It, it tells you all you need to know that like David S. Goyer is who they got to direct their first um, episode, notably not a director as his main line of work. Yeah. So, I mean, I, maybe we'll talk about the ratings here because like we said, yeah. this is the first show we've talked about that did not even finish airing. No. This got pulled off the air after episode nine. Um, and it had the weakest ratings of everything we're talking about so far. It premiered to about 8.6 million uh, viewers, and it held around there for a little while. Um, and then it was down to eight by episode eight, and then it went off the air for like three weeks of Thanksgiving-style stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Episode nine was like six and a half million, and then they just pulled the plug. Um, yeah. And, you know, back then those weren't the worst ratings in the world, and it was consistent, it wasn't building an audience, obviously. It was losing viewers steadily. And it was doing so, so terrible with the 18 to 49 crowd, which is like, back then especially, the most important thing in the world. Um, so for some context, um, according to the Nielsen ratings I looked up, 
the pilot had uh, about 2% of 18 to 49 viewers that week. Um, so for some, and it stayed about consistent with that amount throughout the run of the show. Um, for context, uh, the final week of the threshold was on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, Invasion was pulling about 4% of yeah. the 18 to 49 demo in the episode that it aired that week. And remember, it got a full season. So it had about 4%. That same week the threshold went off the air, Lost was pulling 8% of the demo. So, like, the way I think about... The way to think about this is, like, Threshold was out of its league, and the league that it was out of was itself out of its league. Like, it was out of the league of losers. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Um, It was also just, like, it didn't seem like it was supported by the network very well. Um, It started out in the Friday night death slot, 9 p.m. on Friday. Nobody is watching TV at that point. It got moved to a Tuesday night slot, but moving a show is always difficult because then like you lose the people who thought that they were waiting till Friday for it. Um, and it was up against SVU on <laughs> Tuesday. Man. So it's like, again, uh, you know, nothing against Carla Gugino whatsoever. Wonderful actress, not given the most to do in the show, but you just imagine like detective Benson, just like doing a, an air juggle combo of her in the corner and just getting a perfect KO. It's yeah. like, how is this going to compete against like, a procedural where people are actually charismatic, actually have dynamics that people want to see and so forth. Yeah, I think the, the best way to put it is how the New York Times put it in an article a year after the show was canceled when it finally came out on DVD with like the unaired episodes. Mm-hmm. This headline says, they fought the aliens and the viewers shrugged. <laughs> this article, by the way, this oh, article I by... What? Saw, I just saw what you're about to read. Yes. This article, by the way, noted... An online petition to save the show didn't even draw 1,000 signatures. They couldn't manage 1,000 signatures on a fucking, like, you know, fanboy save the show petition. That's just sad. You know what I mean? Um, It did have enough fans, however, uh, to have fan fiction. (laughs) I went to Archive of Our Own. There's not a lot of stuff here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um... But there is fan fiction. There is, in fact, slash fic. Um, I think the most popular pairing was uh, Nigel Fenway with Lucas Pegg. You know, grumpy old man and like kind of a nervous young boy. He's not a boy, obviously, <laughs> but you can see how people are thinking about it, right? Esther en- entering her uh, Anne Hathaway mode, saying, like, you're a nervous young boy, aren't you? <laughs> um, but anyway, Hannah, I'm just going to give you a section of a fanfic I found, which yeah. is called Defuse the Situation. This was published in 2007. So mm-hmm. two years after the show was canceled. You want me to read it? This is a Kavanaugh slash Ramsey fanfic. Um, and I'm just going to send you an excerpt of that. Yeah. And you read as much of that as you want to. Arthur's learned a thing or two from hanging out in strip clubs. Even drunk, he can't turn off the part of his brain that absorbs and analyzes and detects. So deliberately shimmying out of the pants that are a size too small is something that doesn't feel embarrassed doing. Hey, strippers make great money with it. Why should he be any different? That sucks. <laughs> Only one paragraph? I sent you so much more. There's too much of this. I don't want to do more. You don't want to get to the... Okay, fuck. The premise of the, the, premise of the fanfic is that uh, Arthur has strapped a bomb to his dick. <laughs> So that Kavanaugh can sensually diffuse it. This is his excuse 
This is fanfic writers' brains are so beautiful. This is this is Ramsey's excuse to get Cav- to take off his pants in front of Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh tears his ears or tears his eyes away. Arthur has to give him credit for that. His magnificence usually robs people of that ability and glares at him. Arthur, there's a bomb covering your dick. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And the perceptive award of the night goes to Sean Kavanaugh. $500 in stating the obvious. You think this is some kind of joke? Kavanaugh's face is starting to twitch in all kinds of places now. And suddenly, he's taking up a lot more space with a sexy angry... If this weren't already a life-threatening situation, I'd probably kill you thing he's got going on. His hand squeezed down on Arthur's shoulders, almost crushing. If you think I'm going to defuse that, you're right. <laughs> Arthur reaches down between them, choosing a wire at random to squeeze two fingers around. If you were feeling adventurous, you could let me do it myself. <laughs> All right, stop, stop, stop there. Um... Yeah, I I, th- I wanted to share that because I, I don't want to I don't want to get lost as we do this show, uh, and I don't want to get surface or invasion or threshold. You know, I, I don't want to lose track of the fact that these shows, even a show like Threshold, did have fans, mm-hmm. um, fans who were perilously horny enough. If if you were one of the four fans of that show, you just came. You just had a, a if you were one of the eruption. four fans of this this show, you're li- and you're listening to this right now. You love you wrote com- this. You love my comic book guy voice right there. Oh wait a minute! This fanfic has the note. This started as a haiku. Wow! <laughs> you really went past your word count on that one. <laughs> oh, incredible! I, I love Ao3. We're, this is something I think we should return to as, yeah. as our podcast continues. If we can find more good ones. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, something that's interesting is I did my research about. Um, uh, contemporaneous stuff about the show. The showrunner, mm-hmm. who's this guy Braggy F. Shut. Yeah, is his let's name. talk about him. Um, normally, there's a lot of interviews with the showrunner around this time. We talked about the stuff with the Pate brothers or the Pate brothers last time. Yeah. Um, but like, there's nothing. Uh, no one wanted to talk to Braggy F. Shut, and probably the reason is that the executive producers of the show were Brandon Braga mm-hmm. and David Escoyer mm-hmm. and David Heyman, who was making the Harry Potter movies at that time. Yeah. So, like, three pretty huge names in, like, you know, nerd sci-fi fantasy properties were making this show. Of course everyone wanted to talk to them. No one gave a shit about Braggy F. Shut, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, by the way. Not even to today. Um, and he's, like, he's continued to work in things. Um, he has done a lot of writing for the Ninjago series, I think it's called. Lego Ninjago? I, well, I think there's just a regular Ninjago. What? No, wait a minute. There's a regular Ninjago? Uh, I'm not going to look that up. Let's I am. Too- okay. <laughs> you looked that up while I give it more context. He also um, wrote both Escape Room movies. Which are great. So congratulations to him for being the first Ninjago? showrunner not that we can Ninjago. confirm knows what trans women are because uh, there's a trans woman in Escape Room too. Why no Legos in the Lego Ninjago show is what this uh, Reddit post says. Why no Legos? Uh... So is there non-Lego Ninjago? I don't think so. I think Lego. I think Ninjago is Lego. It's just an. It's just a Lego sub-brand. But there are no Legos in the Lego Ninjago show. Okay, there are no Legos in the Lego Ninjago show. Why is the show called Lego Ninjago if, besides the minifigures, this show looks nothing like Legos? None of the buildings or vehicles or anything looks like they are made of Lego bricks. It's just a generic CGI background. You, quote, it would be too hard and expensive to make it that way. They're on a TV show budget. Make it CGI TV. Okay, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I just really... It took me a few seconds to figure out that wasn't just you. 
<laughs> that you weren't just doing another one of those things where you're just yeah. like watching the show and getting a little bored and like complaining that Molly Caffrey's no. fridge is too tall. No, I was reading a, a Reddit post from uh, NoobJew666, which got which zero, is, which which got zero upvotes. <laughs> yeah, it's my account. That is your account. Um, <laughs> zero upvotes, but it was the first Lego, uh, first <laughs> Google result for uh, Ninjago, not Lego. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, threshold. As we can tell, he is a guy who is very anonymous, uh, does not give interviews, um, seems to be like a, a very like behind the scenes type of person. And this was his first show. Before this, he had just like done some producing work on some like TV biopic movies, like about Hitchcock, Hitchcock or Mary Kay Letourneau. Um, but yeah, like he is going to be overbeared by the three really big name EPs. And they themselves are going to be overbeared by the network that is trying to, like, make this more procedural. Like, there was an interview with David S. Goyer where he's talking about how, like, yeah, it really fucking sucks because we wanted it to be more of a serialized thing. But CBS kept telling us, like, it needs to be more procedural. It needs to be more procedural. And it kind of tells you everything that it's not the showrunner who's giving that complaining interview. It's the executive producer who is overshadowing the showrunner. Yeah, and especially with Brandon Braga, who obviously had this, like fucking uh, neuroticism over the Star Trek show that everyone hated mm-hmm. that he had just finished. Yeah. He says in a quote in one of the interviews we found, we wanted the science fiction to be accessible, that it not be like Star Trek, that it not be technical and everything has to be explained. Mission failed, man. No, yeah. It is, they just, they explain shit way too much on this show. There's way too much shit about elevated brainwaves and like, you know, different types of recording technologies and Again, everybody on the red team is a different type of scientist, and they all have to give exposition every episode about like what their their job is and like you know what they're finding about the aliens this time. It's interesting though because in that interview, which is actually from a New York Times article called "Don't Call It Science Fiction," mm-hmm. which also talks about surface. There's a quote from Jay Ferguson where he says, "Yeah, I really think of it. Um, I think of surface being more like speculative fiction than science fiction." It's interesting. It's almost like there was... The, it's all, It's kind of like taboo, right? Like, mm-hmm. our show isn't really sci-fi because I think maybe people were thinking about sci-fi at that time. Like, oh, it's Star Trek. They're going to talk about all this techno babble, and I don't want to watch that. It's like, no, no, no. You know, our show is... Uh, it's not really sci-fi. And in fact, they really marketed it on, like, being horror. more of a horror show. Yeah. Um, which is so strange because it's, it's just a sci-fi show. It mm-hmm. is, you know, a sci-fi network show in tone and, like, aesthetic... But it is just science fiction. Um, and it's kind of sad that at that time, like, they kind of felt like they had to run away from that. Yeah. Which, again, like, I understand that in, like, a broader context, but this is a lost alike, right? Like, yeah. y- if the whole reason that you greenlit this is because there is a really exciting show that has sci-fi elements that's getting, like, 15 million viewers every episode that everybody's talking about then why do you run away from that so hard? Um, it's, it's, they all wanted to be the next loss, but they all just like remembered what sci-fi was the second that they green this. And they're like, ooh, no, not that. Yeah. Um, I do just want to bring up, by the way, before we forget, um, there's an amazing detail on the Wikipedia page for this show, um, which, by the way, is like the most ludicrously detailed Wikipedia page I've ever seen for a TV show that ran for uh, nine aired episodes and four unaired episodes. There's a section called Show Mythology with a subsection called The Infection with four subsections 
listing the different four types of infectee, who you will note that we did not specify uh, because it does not matter that much. It doesn't matter. It matters to whoever put up this Wikipedia page, but not to us. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's an amazing detail, which is that the plan for the show (laughs) was that, um, you know, Threshold is phase one of the plan. And their idea was that every season they would go into another phase and that the name of the show would change along with what phase the plan was in. So season okay. two... That can work if the name of the second season isn't the goofiest fucking thing I've ever heard. Let's hear what it would be. So the season two of the show would have been called Fo- Foothold. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. We've been talking about the TV2 high dad. Um, the one who's watching it in the most like brightly lit room possible. Uh, it's a very like kind of beige room. Uh, he's got his arms folded. He's looking up, craning his neck over his saucer TV. He is not saying, all right, time to be quiet. Footholds on. <laughs> and that season three would have been stranglehold. Mm-hmm. So as David Escoyer put it, um, in terms of the overall arc of the show, we had always intended or planned to have, it was three stages. It was threshold, foothold, stranglehold. Meaning threshold is contact. Foothold is the aliens get a foothold. <laughs> And Stranglehold is the aliens actually overthrow the indigenous population and become the overlords. And we were actually planning on changing the title of the show based on that plan. But obviously, we never got that far. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine? It's the most beautifully TV-brained thing imaginable to be like, we're going to change the name of the show based on what's happening in it. Yeah, it's going to be on a different uh, night of the week every episode. (laughs) Um, we're changing the name constantly. Different actors will show up. <laughs> we're recasting all the roles every time. Uh, we're going to go to different networks. Yeah. Um, we're going to make the show as hard as possible to follow. And it's going to be a different story, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be about the Boston public school system. <laughs> Season four, after the aliens have really taken over, is called Boston Public. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... I, I, I think that, like, we've been sort of just talking over the last little while about, like, our usual, like, post-mortem segment, why did this fail, etc. It should all be super obvious by now. Yeah, clearly. Um, there's, it you know, it looks boring, looks awful, very cheaply produced. There's, like, a sequence where um, a character's lips are moving, but there's no visible, there's no audible dialogue coming out from him. <laughs> yeah, they did a reverse ADR on this guy. Yeah, and it's just like, by episode six, it was just going to be like, you hear in the background after, like, Dr. Caffrey gives a monologue, you just hear a mysterious voice saying, like, all right, can we go again? <laughs> <laughs> there are, like, this show had so little that there are, like, three separate episodes where all of a sudden, like, a background guy at Threshold starts mm-hmm. to have lines and it's immediately as like obvious that like oh that guy's clearly like a traitor yeah. because it's like <laughs> no one none of the like background scientists or security guys ever talk except for when like they're a traitor or they're gonna die. Yeah, it's um, and again I think that if that was done with a little more charm, that would really work for the dad who watches TV standing up demographic yes. because one thing that those guys love to do is point at a TV and say well that guy's about to die. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to my parents, um, who love doing that. Um, so yeah, again, like, if it had found its footing, if the first several episodes had been more like 11 to 13, 
um, what we're what we've been calling like the USA Network type era, then like yeah, th- this show could have been something, but it unfortunately was not, and uh, it crashed and burned harder than any of the other ones. Extremely, it's it's and it, here's the thing, I'm not even sad about it in the way that like I'm sort of ambiently sad about Invasion and Surface, which clearly had like. Not the most interesting creative visions, but clearly had some creative vision. This is just like, this show's just bad. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's weirdly mean spirited. It is so like lazily written. The mean spiritedness is like, it's something that's really jarring in a loss of like context. Because when somebody dies in a loss of like, it is either as like a vignette that is meant to draw like a sense of horror and visceral shock. Like the the monster, the creature feature stuff that would show up at the beginning and end of surface episodes. Or it's like a big plot death. In this, it's like, I mean, you go to the case of that like alien stripper that gets like killed by the hybrid hybrid serial killer. Um, And it's just like, there are three separate like scenes where it's just like her ass is hanging in the air. Like her her dead body's ass is hanging in the air. Um, And that type of thing isn't like, it isn't jarring for the context of like a procedural where you have just like a different victim every week. And if it's a hot woman, then like you might as well like do a bit of that like titillation. Uh, but it is jarring in the context of a, a loss alike. And as a final note, I would like, while we're on the subject of this show's attitudes towards women, yes, uh, to just mention something that really just blew my mind as I was watching this. Which is, uh, it's a concept that I call the Garner line. Yes. Uh, this is something that happened in uh, the 2000s especially. Um, it still definitely happens. Hollywood is a very misogynist industry. It's a very misogynist place. But I always think about how, like, I grew up watching Alias with Jennifer Garner, right? And I think about how, like, that show was sold on a idea that, like, she is the hottest fucking woman of all time. Like, we are going to put her in a different fetish outfit every episode um, and you are going to love it. And she got like Electra, right? Like we are going to put her in these like leather superhero costumes. You are going to fucking love the sexiest woman of all time. That was when she was like in her early 30s. When she hit her mid 30s, it was immediately like, okay, you're in Juno now and your role is brittle suburban mom. We are pulling your hair back and you are going to wear big sweaters. That is what you will do for the absolute rest of your career. Yeah. And Carla Gugino is a fucking gorgeous woman. She is fucking gorgeous to this day. She is like 32 in this show. Younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, only by a year. I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, but they clearly, like, the way that they style her, the way that they, like, uh, frame her hair, the way that they dress her and whatnot, it is clearly for, like a hot 45 year old woman it is this idea that like you are just on the line of like where we can still consider you sexy and we want to do that and so in the pilot we're going to put you in like a leather trench coat and like a sleeping outfit that can only be described as a negligee um but we are also like thinking of you as like an old woman in a sense and we are thinking of it as being like kind of weird and sad that you don't have like several kids by this age Um, And it's just such a weird fucking way as, like, a time capsule of how even more misogynist things used to be. 
Yeah, and and you since you are mentioning Jennifer Garner in this context, uh, let's not forget what Carla Gugino herself was doing about f- three or four years after this. That's right. Uh, she was playing in the film Watchmen, the old Silk Spectre. <laughs> yes. Like the old woman Silk Spectre. <laughs> Zack Snyder just looked at her and was like, how are you alive? <laughs> you look like you're about 150 years old. Okay, Carla, we will do this day of shooting and then we will rush you to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Zach. Yeah. Uh, let's not be too mean. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, why did you do that? Yeah, I, I, I think they put her in like old age makeup for like the, you know, some. You could have cast an old woman. You could have cast an old woman. I guess yeah. there were flashbacks. It doesn't matter. It's still funny. No, but it, it, I think you're very right that it's like by 2008 or whenever that movie came out, it was like, all right, Carla. Um, so what type of old woman do you want to play? <laughs> do you want to play old woman who used to be hot? I think you'd be a great fit for that. <laughs> Um, oh, by the way, before we go, I'm going to sneak it in here. At one point, they say electromagnetic burst. <laughs> what the fuck is that? It's electromagnetic pulse. EMP, electromagnetic pulse. We've talked about this. In our style communications area. Again, um, things that Esther gets hung up on because the episodes aren't very engaging to watch. Burst. <laughs> Have, has anyone ever heard that? Um, what you're going to need to do is uh, just... And I'm going to be serious this time, right? No fake addresses to send this to. Just go into Esther's DMs. I am going to set her DMs to anybody can DM her. And just say electromagnetic burst. Just say that like a million times. Say, I grew up hearing that. Where I grew up, everybody said that. We, our, our school got hit by an electromagnetic burst about like twice a week. Um, and just let her know. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Lost Broadcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, are, are we actually done? I think we are. Do we have I anything think, else we want to talk about? I think we're done with, with thresholds. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed, please give us a follow at Lost Broadcast. You can mm-hmm. also just tell us anything about the show. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, before we go, there is one more thing we have to talk about. It's our next episode. Our next episode. So we mentioned this, uh, it's a callback to our first episode where we said that CBS, NBC, and ABC all had 2005 debuting Lost Likes. Fox, we said, kind of sort of had one reunion. Um, We have learned a little bit more about reunion and we want to watch it as our fourth uh, episode. Um, There's a problem, though, which is that reunion is almost lost media at this point Mm -hmm. uh there are some youtube files that we're going to be pulling from to watch this uh those files have about 13 minutes of footage missing across all the episodes and so far like that's it that's the only place that it's available online uh we are not talking about like you know it's it's not available through any overt means or less overt means uh it is just that youtube set of uploads or some dvds from kind of vaguely sketchy looking online retailers um so what we were thinking basically is that i mean esther is an archivist right Mm -hmm. like she loves the idea of preserving media and so for the sake of just like making sure that these shows even if they suck they don't deserve to be completely erased they don't deserve to be completely inaccessible and we think it would be wonderful basically if we could for some of these really hard to find ones um, just buy some DVDs of them, effectively. Like, make sure that they're going to be preserved in a bit of a sense. Maybe try to make them a little more accessible. Um, and that's just something that we would really be excited for. 
And thus, we are announcing uh, in a very informal type of way. We're not really expecting anything out of this. But if anybody would love to, that would be interested in chipping into this, we would love it. We'd appreciate it. Uh, the Lost Broadcasts Memorial DVD Fund. Um, where it's just like, again, if there is a show that is like close to being just completely inaccessible, completely forgotten, it would be great if we could just get the DVD of that and make sure that somebody has it that can like preserve it in a sense. Um, so Esther, do you want to tell them uh, what we're going to do for the Lost yes. Broadcasts DVD Fund? As you're listening to this, if you go to our Twitter account at Lost Broadcasts, uh, there will be a link to a Venmo. Uh, where you can send in some money and hopefully we'll be able to get these shows more preserved because I was I was sad when I was looking for Reunion and it's just not anywhere. I mean, and even the DVDs themselves are like, it's not on Amazon, you know? We're having to go to some, like, a .pk link is one of the places where we found it. Like, um, it's just not out there. And, like, you know, we, we joke about these shows and we talk about that they're bad, but it doesn't mean that they should be lost forever. So, yeah, if that's something you're interested in contributing to, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and I hope that's you. Absolutely. Um, I think that's it. Um, I don't think we have anything else more to talk about uh, until mm-hmm. next time. Uh, just eat some gazpacho or hear a signal or do whatever you got to do to get infected and become a hybrid. Become infected from our signal. That This is, this is the signal. This You've is been the signal. listening to it. The whole time. And similarly to the signal in the show, it is really unpleasant and annoying to hear. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Take care.